1 Peter 3, 8 through 17. Finally, all of you who have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For this, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love and see good day and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. In you, Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good, your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, um, just thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to gather as a church and just dive into um, what you have called for us, Lord, what you desire for us, and, and that we can just glorify you and bring you praise, Lord. I pray that during this time that we can just um, be attentive to the, the words that are being spoken and that your spirit would just fall down upon us and just um, just allow us to, to take in all that is, is to be said today, Lord. Um, we praise you in everything we do. Amen. Amen. Am I on? There we go. Ooh, hey. Ooh. We good? All right, right on. Well, good morning, Aletheia Church. How are you guys doing this morning? Yes, thank you. A few people in the front row are excited. The rest of you guys are still waking up. Uh, good. Hey, so um, I'm, I'm, excited. I'm excited to be here for a number of reasons, um, uh, but I want to pause for, for a minute just uh, and, and take a second to uh, just... Uh, take a second to um, recognize somebody here. If I can get uh, Stephen Cruz and his wife, Myra, to, to come up here on stage. And while they're, they're walking up, I'll just kind of explain to you guys what's, what's going on this morning. If you guys want to stand over here and I'll move this out of the way. Um, so um, for those of you guys that may or may not know, um, Aletheia Church is, is elder-led. And, and some of you guys are like, I don't know what that means. Uh, what, some of you guys are like, elder, all these guys look like they're five. What's going on? Um, 33, just in case you're ever wondering. Um, but the, you know, one of the things that we believe that God says in his word is that once local churches were established throughout uh, the different cities of the Mediterranean world, what would happen is that uh, Godly men were placed in positions of pastoral leadership and eldership of those churches once Paul or Barnabas or whoever started that church kind of moved on. And you could see throughout the scripture that Paul makes it um, an explicit point to say to the different churches that he's writing to to make sure that they continue to raise up elders and leaders that would shepherd and lead those churches. And so some of you guys are like, well, you know, I've been a part of a church where we democratically voted for everything, and I've been a part of a church where we had a bishop and whatever else, and, you know, each church is welcome to come to a conclusion on what they decide to do, but we believe biblically here at Aletheia Church that God calls us 
to be led by godly men who both meet the qualifications of an elder as outlined in Titus chapter 1 or 1 Timothy chapter 3. Not going to go through that this morning if you, need, if you need to know the qualifications. But most importantly, in and among those qualifications that are laid out in those verses are uh, a, a very key section where the, not only should you meet those qualifications, but that person needs to feel called to the work of an elder. Because, uh, I, and we've got, we're going to throw some of these examples up here, but some of you guys are like, well, what does an elder do? And, and an elder does a number of different things, but the primary thing that an elder does is he leads the church. Uh, that's from 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. And, and when we say lead, that word there that's used there is the word oversight. And so what uh, Paul means there is he means someone who plans, prays, fasts, leads, adjusts to changes that need to be made, and is basically there to be on the front lines to continue to press forward the work of the church. Not only that, uh, an elder is called to teach and preach the word of God, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. Uh, an elder is called to protect against false teaching. So some of you guys are coming in here and hoping to spread some false doctrine or whatever else, you know, trying to make us all become Scientologists or something crazy like that. Um, the elders of the church will uh, tell you to hit the road. And that's from uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 17. Um, elders are called to encourage and build up the church in sound doctrine. That's from Titus chapter 1, verse 9. Uh, another calling that comes in the lives of elders is that they are called to visit and pray with the sick. That's sick. That's from James chapter 5, verse 14. And then lastly, and again, this is not an exhaustive list, but they're, they're, guard, they're guards to doctrinal issues, meaning that anything that Aletheia Church kind of holds as a key doctrinal issue, something that we care about, the elders are in agreement on, on where we stand on that. And if there's something that becomes a doctrinal issue, the elders also help decide whether, hey, that's an open-handed doctrinal issue or that's a closed-handed doctrinal issue. And, and when I say closed-handed, I mean, hey, you must believe this or we don't believe that you're walking rightly with God. When I say open-handed issue, I mean issues like eschatology, right, which is you can be, some of you guys have no idea what I mean when I say that. Eschatology is the study of end times, right? Some of you guys are premillennial, some of you guys are postmillennial, some of you guys are amillennial. Um, if you're right, you're historic premillennial with a post-trib rapture view, but I'd be happy to sit down with you sometime and explain to you why I'm right and you're not. Um, but anyway, that's an open-handed issue. As long as we're in agreement that Jesus is coming back one day, that's the closed-handed part of that issue. The rest, we can agree to disagree on. And so Stephen here um, has been an elder candidate for well over a year now. Um, you know, I have talked with him on multiple occasions. We've talked with Myra, asked her to pray uh, and make sure she's all in on this. Uh, Stephen had his own reservations uh, about answering this calling on his life. So we've taken time to pray and fast and seek the Lord's hand in this. Uh, part of that process was back over the summer. If you are a covenant member here of Aletheia Church at the member meeting, we presented Stephen as an elder candidate to you officially at that time and said that if you have anything or any charges to bring against him uh, to do so in the, in the coming months, that we would take those seriously and sit down uh, because we wanted to make sure that not only were the elders looking at his character, but the church as a whole was. And so we went through that process as well. And we believe now that God is confirming uh, Stephen's calling as an elder of this church. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to lay hands on him. So if I can get uh, uh, Brent up here, my wife, uh, Caitlin, we're going to get you up here even though you got your mouth full of food at the moment. 
um, uh, since Derek can't be here this morning. And then if you are a covenant member here at Aletheia Church and you want to come up and lay hands on Stephen as I pray for him, I would invite you, Stephen, we're going to have you up here. You can just come up here, lay hands on him if you want to pray for him, right? And, and, and the reason why this is important is what we're um, just displaying at, in this time is that we recognize uh, what God is doing in Stephen's life and in Myra's life. And we're going to ask God to bless him as he leads us as he continues to shepherd us. And then we're also going to ask God to protect him, to protect Myra from uh, the works of Satan as he might try to pull down. I think one of the things I can tell you guys as, as someone in leadership, and if you, if you continue to work forward into positions of leadership, spiritual warfare is not a matter of if, but when. You know, Satan uh, would love nothing more than to disrupt godly, gospel-centered work going on throughout the nations. And so um, I would encourage you guys, whether you come up here and lay hands on him now or not, to be praying for Stephen and the other elders of this church. Um, but we're going to pray for him now. Heavenly Father, thank you um, for Stephen and thank you for Myra. Thank you that most importantly, Lord, you have called them from death to life. That you have saved them that you are their God and their king, and that they are adopted as sons and daughters into your kingdom. And I thank you that they know that, they believe that, that there's evidence of fruit of that in their lives, and that you have been faithful to them. You've been faithful to them both uh, as they uh, have walked through various trials in their lives, but also you've been faithful to them in their marriage as they continue to grow together, seeking to honor you in their marriage. And Lord, as Stephen answers the call as an elder of Aletheia Church, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen him, strengthen him in wisdom and in grace and in truth so that he might lead and shepherd this church to your glory. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen Myra, that we would surround her uh, with love and care and that she would be uh, a place where Stephen can go when he's struggling or, or having doubts or that, that you would continue to encourage her to lead in those moments and guide and protect and shepherd him and that you would ultimately continue to grow Stephen into a man of God who leads his family well and will lead this church in the coming years. God, protect us from the works of Satan. Protect us from his desire to disrupt and lead us into temptation and sin. Protect us from our, our proclivity to give in to the flesh and not trust that your word is good and true. Help us as his brothers and sisters to surround him in prayer and Myra as well. And most of all, protect this church, Lord, so that we might suffer, that we might grow, that we might come together in unity of mind seeking to establish a place where community is built on the proclamation of you and your word, Jesus. That in Gainesville, we might have an impact to make much of you and your gospel. Father, we love you. Thank you for Stephen. Thank you for his leadership. Thank you for his life. And thank you for all that is gonna be accomplished through him and Myra in the coming years. We love you, Lord, and we ask this all in Jesus' good name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. So as they head back uh, to their seat, uh, thank you guys for just um, 
um, taking a moment there to kind of recognize that. I think it's important that you guys kind of know who, who uh, the men and women are that, uh, that are stepping out on the front lines here and that, that give up hours and hours of their time every month to serve you guys faithfully. As you guys know, uh, we run a lean, mean machine here because most of you guys don't make any money, and so we can't afford to hire staff. And so most of the elders and the leaders of this church um, give up in upwards of 20 to 40 hours a month of their own time outside of their regular full-time jobs to be able to lead and shepherd and grow this church. And for that, um, I am eternally grateful for the impact they have. But just want you guys to know, they give up a lot so that you guys can be discipled and encouraged so that we can be on mission together for Jesus. And so I wanted to make sure we honored Stephen and you guys got to see that here this morning. All right, if you got a Bible, go ahead and up, uh, open it up. I don't know what that was. It didn't sound like English. <laughs> Go ahead and open it up to 1 Peter chapter 3. Um, that's where we're going to be this morning. And uh, I, I'm just going to start off by saying this. Forgive me this morning if the sermon and the text seems repetitive, uh, because it is. And, uh, and, and what I mean by that is, is what Peter's really going to be hammering on in our text this morning is this idea of uh, suffering. And suffering well to the glory of God and what it means to be on mission together as a church and suffer together as, as a church. Um, and, and what we've said uh, as we've been studying this book of the Bible together and, and what we've been really trying to get across uh, from, the, from at least from the stage to, to you guys as a church is the, the entire reason that Peter is writing this letter in the first place is that these churches he is writing to are going through some pretty serious persecution and suffering. And so what, what, they, what they are struggling with is not this idea of, hey, are we really God's people or are we, real, are we really chosen and loved by God? But they're trying to understand this idea of how could we be suffering so bad and be God's children and God not be coming back yet? Why, why is this happening? Why are we uh, facing persecution? Why are people that we used to uh, break bread with, serve with in local government, uh, have jobs with, uh, do, do other things in this city with, since we've become followers of Christ, why are we now being persecuted and rejected by these very people that we used to love, know, and have relationships with? And, and so as these churches are suffering, Peter is basically writing this letter to them uh, to, to share with them how he feels like they should respond, how they should respond to this suffering and rejection that they are experiencing as a people. And, wh and what we've seen, right, is he calls the church to do a number of different things. And the first one is just to embrace that suffering and in that, embrace this distinction that as God's people, they are called to holiness, um, they are called to love the world around them, and they are called to submit even to unjust, unfair treatment in governments. That's what uh, Peter has been driving home in kind of those first two chapters. And then last week, Pastor Daniel talked about this idea of how marriage itself is a reflection of the gospel and submission inside of marriage even is a beautiful reflection of what it means to submit to God and understand that. And so as we've, we've seen this kind of point being driven home over and over again by Peter, right? This idea of, hey, look, you guys, when you became followers of Jesus, you were signing up to suffer well for the cause and the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
That's what you signed up for by definition. And this is one of those interesting moments, and I'm already getting ready to go on a tangent, so just be ready. But this is one of those interesting moments where people all the time are like, ah, oh, I don't believe in Christianity. You know, like it, you know, the Bible's got too many contradictions or whatever else. And guys, I would just say this. First of all, someone that says that has never read the Bible fully through. But second, I would just say this. If you were trying to create a religion or a way to control a group of people to get them to submit to your government, to get, submit to your leadership— there are plenty of world religions out there, and I've studied a lot of them, that would be good ones to use for that. Christianity is not one of them. If one of the hallmarks of your faith and your belief system is, hey, come follow Jesus. He died for your sins. And when you do, guess what? You're signing up for a lifetime of suffering and marginalization. Anybody super interested in signing up for that? No, like if I, if I ran as president of the United States and said, if you vote for me, we will suffer greatly the next four years. Just be ready. It is going to be miserable. I may run this country into the ground. Right, you guys would be like, dude, get off the stage now. We will never vote for you. And yet millions of followers of Jesus willingly, right, believe and submit to that calling on their lives because they know that following the creator of the universe and knowing Jesus as God and king is far greater than anything this world has to offer. And so, you know, you can choose to believe bits and pieces of scripture, but don't ever come to me with, ah, you know, the Bible, you know, I think it was just used as a control mechanism. If it was, it is literally the worst ever devised by any human being, right? If I, if I was creating a religion, it was like, hey, if everyone follows Jesus, you get a brand new Lamborghini and any job that you want, right? That would be what you create, but that is not what Jesus says, right? Jesus says things like, hey, if you want to be my followers, you need to deny yourself and take up a cross and be willing to die and follow me. Right? That's the language that Jesus uses. So Peter's driving this back home to them saying, look, hey, when you guys began to follow Jesus, this is what you signed up for. And the reason why you shouldn't be encouraged by this instead of discourage this is that your hope is no longer rooted in the things of this world, including your current circumstances, but is rooted in a living hope, and that living hope is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right? And we talked about that all the way back in the first week that we, we started studying this book together, that as Christians— Right? Our hope is rooted in a resurrected Savior. Right? And I, I, said, I said that week, I was like, Christians, we believe some crazy things. We believe a guy was dead for three days and then rose from the dead. Right? Of, all the, of all the things to believe, that, that is one of the most outrageous. And yet, we know it to be true for multiple reasons. Some of us, it is a mixture of experiential. Some of us, you know, I love C.S. Lewis's arguments that he makes in mere Christianity on why the resurrection is believable. Right? But the reality is, right, you have Jesus' 12 disciples who, when they write stories about themselves leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus, what happens to every one of them once Jesus is arrested? No one knows. No one? Yeah, they, they run. They run and tuck tail and hide, right? Because Jesus is being persecuted and they don't want to be arrested as well, right? Peter, what does he do? 
He denies G- that he even knew who Jesus was, right? They all deny that they knew him. They don't want to have anything to do with him, right? Then all of a sudden, what happens? They claim to see him have risen from the dead, to have walked with him, to have spent 40 days after his resurrection with him before he ascended into heaven. And then you have Peter who wouldn't even admit that he knew who Jesus was at Jesus's unjust trial in the middle of the night, later being crucified upside down, stating, I don't care what you do to me. I saw him. He's alive. He's the son of God. Guys, people will die for a lot of things. They're not going to die for a lie that they know to be a lie. They're not going to do it. I'm here to tell you, I have lied a lot in my life. Sadly, I'm pretty good at it. Right? But if I know it's a lie and someone's got a gun in my head, I'm like, dude, I'm going to kill you. Right? Just tell the truth. Guess what's going to come out? The truth. Unless I'm telling the truth and I'm so convinced that I saw the resurrected Jesus and believe that he's the son of God and what he came to do, that I'd be willing to lay my life down for that. And that's what the disciples did. And they were willing to suffer. Peter, who's telling them, hey, be willing to suffer, is going to face that very suffering that he's asking them to do. So church, right, here's my premise this morning. We exist for the glory of Jesus in the good and in the bad. And what we're going to see this morning is Peter's going to share with us uh, four things that that we can kind of look at to see, right, on how we can kind of process and handle suffering well. Now, listen, I know that suffering is not a topic we like. I get that. I know that for multiple reasons, right? Anybody heard that statistics that 80% of the world's uh, pain medication is consumed in the U.S.? Anybody ever heard that statistic before? Okay, apparently I was the only one. It's, it's not true, by the way. I actually did some real research. It's 30%, which is still a lot, right? That, that we don't like suffering, we don't like pain, and so we consume, right, more pain medication in the U.S. than anywhere else in the world. Um, but I, let me give you another example of how I know we don't like to suffer. Some of you guys are going to remember this thing. Some of you guys were like five, and so you're not going to remember this when I'm sharing this. But there used to be this infomercial that would come on TV, right? And that infomercial was to give you six-pack abs without ever getting up from the television, Anyone over like the age of 25 is laughing in here because they know exactly what I'm talking about. And so people start buying these like strap-on machines. And what they do is just pulsate <laughs> like this. Dude, that thing was selling like crazy. People are like, oh, dude, I can have abs. Dude, you have like 30 pounds over top of it, maybe underneath. Like nothing's going on there. By the way, they came to find out later, by the way, that that thing's not healthy for you. Like it's not great. Guess what works? Diet and exercise. But diet and exercise are hard. So guess what we wanted? We wanted the machine that you put around your your stomach, right? That's just what we do as Americans, right? Most of us, right, we get home in the evening and we want to cook. What do we choose to use to cook with? The microwave. No one wants to suffer through having to turn the oven on and wait for that thing to heat up. You mean I can have this delicious chicken nugget dinner in 30 minutes or 30 seconds? Right? That we, by definition, we hate suffering. We hate having to do anything difficult. And yet Peter is addressing this topic continuously throughout this letter, multiple times, because he wants us, as God's people, to understand that suffering is an important component to what God has called us to do and what he has called us to be. Right, and so Peter, Peter wants us to see three things, right? He wants us to see 
and as a church, right, that suffering meaningfully exalts Jesus. I shared with you guys a story a couple weeks ago about my pastor friend who had lost their five-week-old son. And he got up there after, like, like 24 hours after his son had died. He showed up at church. I have no idea why he did this other than being compelled by God. He shows up. He comes up there and is like, I'm broken. I'm destroyed right now. Jesus is enough. Like 27 people gave their life to Christ that day. Because if you can stand there in the midst of pain and sorrow and suffering greater than anything else you've ever experienced and still say Jesus is enough, that is what makes Jesus look amazing. Right, so Peter wants them to suffer meaningfully because joy in suffering is attractive to an unbelieving world. Right, he wants them to learn how to suffer well individually because pain is a reality of life that we're all gonna face. So he wants to encourage them on how to press forward in it. And then lastly, he wants to encourage them how to suffer corporately as a church because the church was facing persecution and his reminder to them is like, hey guys, remember, th- this, is all about a gl- this is all about glorifying Jesus. That, that's why we exist. That's why we exist as a church and building his church in the face of criticism, suffering, and persecution. Let's do this well. Let's do this well to the glory of God. And so Peter's gonna share four ways to approach and respond to suffering in these verses. And so I'm gonna kind of work through each one with me. It's gonna be a little bit different than I normally kind of work through the scripture, but hopefully you'll be able to, to keep up with me, right? But here's, here's what he's gonna share first, right? The first kind of point that he, he, he puts out is that unity and fellowship help during suffering, right? I wrote up there that unity and fellowship are important parts Right, of understanding suffering and doing that well. Like, look at what he says in verses eight and nine. He says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to, the, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. So he says, hey, listen, church, I want you guys to suffer well together, right? In unity, in brotherly affection for one another, right? In love for one another, right? With a tender heart and a humble mind, I want you to do these things together, meaning that we're there for one another in these times. Now, Guys, can I just be honest with some of, you, some of you guys in here for a minute? Because some of you guys have been around here for months, and I don't know who you are, what your name is. Um, and and here's, here's just what I've seen now in about 12 years of ministry. I've just seen it consistently. Most of us don't want to be known until we're suffering. Suffering has this weird way of making us realize that we don't have it together as much as we thought we did and that we need help. But before that, most of us try to be pretty individualistic and self-sufficient. Okay, here's the problem with that as a follower of Jesus, and especially within the context of the local church. What ends up happening is you guys, you start suffering, right? You know, uh, school's not going well, work's not going well, you get dumped, uh, a family member's going through a major medical crisis. A, A number of things just start arising, right? And, and you start getting overwhelmed. And so then you show up and you expect the church to fix things and help you. And here's the deal. 
I desperately want Aletheia Church to be that for each and every person here. But if we don't know who you are, we can't help you. Like, if you are not known, like, like some of you guys, by the way, I'm just gonna, I'm telling you right now, if I don't know who you are, and you kind of like have spotty attendance here, I'm talking to the college students, by the way, you have spotty attendance here, and I see you out in public with your parents, and you're like, oh, this is my pastor. I will call you out in front of your parents. I'm like, oh. You know, so I'll introduce myself to your parents. I'm like, oh, I'm Kevin, and who are you? I'm going to do that to you. So, so if you're not known here, don't do that. I will call you out. Because some of you guys want to do that. You're like, oh, I want my parents to think I'm like this like really, really good church-going Christian while I'm up here. You know, there's my pastor. I'm going to call you out. Some of you guys are like, I hate this guy right now. Be known. Right? What Peter is saying to the churches here is be known. Be in fellowship. Be in community. Because that's how God has designed his family to operate with one another. And when you're struggling and you're not known by anyone, then you get bitter because no one knows what's going on. And Peter says here, long before the suffering ever sits in or anything difficult comes, before suffering ever, ever takes place, you should be building unity of mind with a like-minded group of brothers and sisters in Christ. This means that you're praying for one another, that you're spending time together, that you're caring and meeting one another's needs, that you're on mission together. This means you give up your time personally and willingly, right, for the cause of Christ and for the good of others. Not repaying evil, but encouraging one another even when slandered. Guys, the body of Christ has saved me from doing some really stupid things over the years. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, like, there have been times where I, like, my natural proclivity is when I sense injustice and I see it is to just fly off the handle and go crazy. And if it weren't for some faithful brothers and sisters who love Jesus over the years who have come in and be like, okay, yes, breathe. We're going to pray. We're going to calm down and we're going to give this over to God because God doesn't need you to save everyone. We need Jesus to do that. That's built with Unity of mind and fellowship occurring over time that the body of Christ does these things together. Aletheia, I want us to be known as a church, as a, as a place that does this well. A place where hurting and broken people know, hey, I can go there and be loved. Not judged, loved. If I'm struggling with sin, if 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 I'm struggling with circumstances in my life, if I'm, just, if I'm just hurting or struggling to see the grace of God in my life, wouldn't it be great if our testimony was known as a place where people were just loved well and pointed to Jesus? Not as the place with the coolest worship music or clearly not the most beautiful building in the world, but as a place where, you know what, those people just love God and they love people. Right? That's what I want us to be known where. And guys, the beauty of this is that if, this, if, if we become a church and we continue to grow in this and we become a church that does this well, people will come to know Jesus because of it. Guys, I'll, I'll just tell you this, right? When, 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 when my youngest son, Josiah, started having seizures at, at two days old, right? The church was like three, four years old at that point, not even that. 
our, our, our support system all lived in Virginia. And so the reality was, is like Jackie and I kind of just felt like we were on an island. We did. We're like, we're in a church that's surrounded by mostly people in their early 20s. Like, this is going to suck. And some of you guys who are in this room were part of this story, right? You rallied around us and loved us well in that time. You watched my kids. You brought us coffee. You cried with us. You prayed with us. You celebrated with us. You, gave, you made us meals. Like, Jackie and I are eternally grateful for the body of Christ surrounding us in that season of suffering, right? Let us be known for that because suffering has a unique way of drawing people together in unity and that is a gift, not a curse. I would never wish epilepsy on my child, but a lot of the things that have come out of that have been beautiful, beautiful examples of God's grace in our lives. Some of you guys have been some of the most beautiful pictures of God's grace and love in my life even more so than scripture at times because you are living out the actions and words and commands of Jesus in a way that brings life into my family's life, right? Let's be a church that does this well and do it together. Now, the second thing Peter says is this. He says the first one is, right, that unity and fellowship help during suffering. The second one is this. Remember that you were called to suffer as followers of Jesus. This may seem like a moot point or something that I've already touched on, but I think one of the primary things that we kind of forget as, as followers of Christ, because we kind of get stuck in our, our rhythms or our ruts or our things we do, is like, hey, we're actually called to experience this and walk through this. That as followers of Jesus, this is part of the calling that was placed on our lives. Look at what he says in verses 9 through 12. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. He says, hey church, listen up. Remember when I said earlier that you were called to a living hope and that living hope is in the resurrection of Jesus? Part of that calling is to suffering and persecution. And you should view that not as something miserable, but what's the word he uses there? Blessing. Like, could you imagine sitting in a hospital room and being told you have cancer and then immediately saying, thank you, God. No. Like, that's, like, that's, that's not natural for us. That's not a natural response to us. And yet, Peter uses this word kaleo for called here, which means to call forth or to bid someone towards action. Meaning that, that what Peter is saying here is like, hey, Jesus said, he called you by name and said, hey, Kevin, come suffer. Come suffer for the gospel. Come suffer for the cause of Christ. I'm calling you as my son. Come do this. Come do this well. God has called us as his children to embrace suffering and persecution. And in this calling, and guys, listen, I know this is hard. I know this is hard. 
because we all want to be liked. But Peter says to humbly and calmly be a blessing to the others in the midst of suffering and persecution. Why? Because we will receive a blessing from God himself. Some of you guys are like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, pause. What do we mean by this? Stop. Kevin, are you going prosperity gospel on me here? Like, what's, what's going on? Let me just say this. If we live humbly, lovingly, with a pure heart, honestly, pursuing peace with proper motives of loving people well and making much of Jesus, this pleases God and makes much of him. And Peter quotes the Psalms there, and, 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 and this is what he's saying by quoting that. That our blessing is that instead of facing the anger and wrath of God in the midst of not suffering well, if we suffer well, we instead receive his favor and he is open and attentive to our prayers. Think about this for a minute, guys. God demands that his followers live in such a way that brings honor to him so that we might experience the joy of knowing his pleasure in us over the ease of circumstances. Let me say that again. God demands that his followers, his sons and daughters, live in such a way that brings honor to him in the midst of suffering so that we might experience the joy of knowing his pleasure in us over the ease of circumstances. What I mean by that, guys, is pleasure in Jesus is better than anything that this life has to offer. Drugs, money, fame, sex, celebrity, all of it is fleeting in, in light of knowing that your creator loves you and knows you. That what Peter is saying here to the church is, guys, we were called to this, and guess what? This is the best way to get to know your God and know that he loves you. To see the faithfulness of God in the midst of suffering is a powerful gift from our creator. To see God's faithfulness when you know you can't pull through it yourself is a gift. As a, side, as a side note here, real quick, by the way, guys, if you're in here this morning, like, Kevin, you don't know how bad I'm struggling with depression. You don't know what's going on in my life. One, you're probably right. I, I can't relate. I would love to try to, but, but you're probably right. Number two, let me, just, let me encourage you to do what Peter even does here, which is go to Jesus with that suffering. Right, he quotes the Psalms here. Um, I, I just always, if anyone ever comes to you, if you ever come to me and you're like, I'm struggling, Kevin, I don't know what to do, I'm heartbroken, I have no direction, I don't know what's going on, I'm like, open up the Psalms, that's literally David's life. A, 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 like, almost every song he ever writes is, God, where are you? I have no idea what's going on, everything is miserable, help me trust you. Or just over and over and over again, the, the psalmist crying out to see God's faithfulness and him showing up eventually. And them experiencing a deeper joy and a greater love of God because of it. David anguishes throughout, throughout the Psalms, and, and yet God meets him. God is not some far-off individual that, that cannot relate with us. Um, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 puts it this way. Let me read it to you. 
This is just one of those beautiful passages of Scripture, right? This is what uh, the author of Hebrews says. He says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need, right? What, what, the, what the author of Hebrews is trying to say there is, look, hey, God knows what you're walking through. Go to him. He can relate with you. Being persecuted and unloved by your friends, guess what? Jesus got rejected by his best friends. Have crazy family dynamic where your home is chaotic, Jesus grew up without a biological dad and his family rejected him for much of his life. Like, don't feel like you fit in with the crowds or are known by the people. Jesus was a religious te- leader who was turned over to the authorities by the religious leaders of his day. Right? Jesus time and time again faced suffering and persecution from the vi- by the very people he came to save. He knows what you're going through and he can meet you there. And his promises over you is that I know you, I love you, I died for you. Trust me. So here's what Peter's saying. He's he's just saying, and and some of you guys are like, I don't really like this. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Sometimes, Sometimes the hard truths of scriptures are hard truths. But Peter says, look, if you're a follower of Jesus, look, just remember, you signed up for this. You were called to this. This is is who you are in Christ. You are aliens sojourning in a foreign land. You're going to feel like you're being reviled and persecuted. God is better. Number three, the third thing he's gonna remind the churches of here, starting in verse 13, he's he's gonna tell them this. There are worse things in life than earthly suffering and persecution. And if there's one point in this entire section that I want to make sure we really drive home, guys, this is it. Because we in the West, in America in particular, spend our entire lives, and I said this earlier, trying to avoid suffering, pain, and heartache as much as possible. And Scripture's gonna say here, hey guys, there's, there's, there's worse things than that. There, there's worse things to existence than suffering. Now let me read these verses to you and then let's break them down. He says this. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile you, your good behavior in Christ, may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. All right, so let me, let, me, let me try to break down what I think Peter is trying to get across to us here because there's, there's two separate points that he's making in that paragraph. But the first one is this. Suffering and pain is hard, right? He's, he's, not, he's not trying to say, hey, quit, quit 
you know, looking at your suffering and pain and, and saying that it's bad, it's not bad. No, it's, that's not entirely what he's saying, right? He's saying it's hard, right? He's walked through some hard seasons. Some of you are walking through harder seasons than, than, than what I've walked through. And, and, and Peter's not trying to discount pain. Um, as a matter of fact, as a church, he calls the church to embrace and rally around one another in that. But this is what he's saying. If you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. That's the line. Some of you guys are like, what? Right? And uh, full, full disclosure, the first time I read that, I'm like, that does not make any sense. If I suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. Because I know how suffering works. It sucks. Right? When you're in a hospital with a couple-day-old baby, and the doctors have no idea what's going on, and he's just having seizure after seizure, like, I, you know what my prayers were during that time? God, please strike me with these instead. Sounds like when you, when you are driven to the end of yourself and you want to help and do something and you can't do anything and you're hopeless, you start praying some crazy prayers. Just, like just insane prayers. God, give me epilepsy right now, please. Because that, like as if I could bargain with God, right? God, I don't want to deal with this with my son. Give it to me instead, please. I want, I want to be the one that takes this on. You start doing some crazy things in suffering. And he says, if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, that means primarily, right, the persecution they were facing from the communities that they were in, right? He says, you will be blessed. So, so what, what is he talking about here? Like, what is going on? Here's, here's what I'll say. What Peter is trying to communicate to, to the church and remind them, so what he's trying to communicate to us, hey, guys, suffering sucks, hell is worse. And I, listen, I know as Christians in 2019, we don't like talking about that place very much. We don't like talking about hell. Let me assure you of something. Jesus believed in it. Hell is a real place that really exists. Some of you, I, I see it on your face right now. I don't like talking about that. My friends don't like that. They're going to like it even less if they're there. I, I, I know for a fact I'm making some of you mad right now. But I do you no service if I don't give you the word of God. Guys, listen up. Jesus mentions hell itself, just, just the word itself, 15 separate times throughout the Gospels. 15. And that's just Jesus. It's not referring to the Old Testament, not referring to other disciples of Christ talking about hell. That's just Jesus himself referring to the existence of hell in light of not being a follower of him or being a part of his kingdom. Right? Let me share this line with you. This is uh, from Leslie Shoemaker of the, the Gospel Coalition. Here's what she says. Jesus doesn't only reference hell. He describes it in great detail. He says it is a place of eternal torment, of unquenchable fire, where the worm does not die, where people will gnash their teeth in anguish and regret, and from which there is no return even to warn loved ones. I love that line. That's one of those famous stories, right, where Jesus says there's this guy who's suffering in hell, and he just says, please let me come back and just warn my family. And they're kind of like, look, if they're not going to believe Jesus, they're not going to believe you coming back from hell to warn them. He calls hell a place of outer darkness, comparing it to Gehenna, which was a trash dump outside the walls of Jerusalem where rubbish was burned and maggots abounded. That's the description of hell, by the way, just like a, a landfill that's burning constantly. Jesus talks about hell more than he talks about heaven and describes it more vividly. 
There's no denying that Jesus knew, believed, and warned against the absolute reality of hell. Guys, hell is a place of real torment where for those that do not and are not God's children are separated both from the presence of God and God's restraint of sin, suffering, and pain. Some of you guys are like, this sounds terrible. Why would I want to worship a God like this? Some of those very same questions I've asked as a follower of God. By the way, Jesus' shoulders are, are broad enough for you to ask hard questions. Just do it. And these are questions I've wrestled with. Like, how could God be loving and yet damn people to hell? And over and over again, just two, two things in the scripture have, have come back to me. One is this, God is just. Meaning, he must demand justice for our rebellion. Right, I've said this in the past, but this is something we need to remember. Sin is not, like we have this view of sin and we just say, oh, I, I, did, I did something bad. Sin is cosmic treason and rebellion against the creator of the universe. Treason, even in this country, is still dealt with by the, the death penalty, by the way. Right? It's cosmic treason where we have removed God from his rightful place as ruler and creator of all things and placed ourselves there instead. That's what sin is. God would not be good if he did not demand justice for that. J.I. Packer says in Knowing God, the character of God is in the guarantee that all wrongs will be righted someday. When the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed, arrives, retribution will be exact, and no problems of cosmic unfairness will remain to haunt us. God is the judge, so justice will be done. So number one reason why God allows hell to exist is because he's just. But number two is like, how can, how can we believe in a loving God and yet hell exists? I'll just say this. The number two, the number two thing that, that leads me to be, okay, hell is real and God is still good, is this. God is good and as hard as it can be to understand the suffering and the torment of hell, more unfathomable, unfathomable to me is this is the goodness God showed to me by sending his son Jesus to die in my place. To suffer for my rebellion, for my treason, for my sin. God in his justice looked on that and said, you must suffer for that rebellion and then looked at me and said, I love you, Kevin. I send my son in your place. No, no one on earth would do that. Could you, could you imagine, right, just for a minute, that, that you commit murder and you show up to the courtroom and when you show up to that courtroom, you walk in, and this wouldn't happen in the American legal system because of conflict of interest, but just bear with me for a minute. And you look at the judge and the judge is the father of the person you killed. What are you thinking? I'm done. 
By the way, you're guilty. Just want to throw that out there. But you're standing there before him, right? And the judge looks at you, and the judge says, what do you have to say for yourself? Present your case, and you present your case, and you have a lawyer and whatever else, and the judge says, okay, well, I know for a fact that you did it because I was there. Boom, you're guilty. Sentences you to death. He gets up out of his chair, comes down and says, kill me instead. I'll die in your place. That's what God did. That is love. As unfathomable and as horrible as hell is, God's love for you and I in Christ is even greater. And this is what makes the gospel so beautiful. There's something worse than suffering, and that's eternity separated from him. Tormented. Peter says to the church, he's like, guys, look, ultimately you will be blessed because you will spend eternity with your creator. Knowing him, being with him, honoring him, and thanking him for giving his life for you. Know that suffering is temporary even in this life. Guys, eternity is a long, long, long time. Peter says, suffer well now for the cause of Christ because it is but a blip in eternity. And lastly, he says this, point four. That suffering creates mission. All right, look at what he says in verses 14 through 17. He says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Right? Peter says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. And what then will this create? Opportunities. Guys, if people persecute you, revile you, slander you, yell about you, make fun of you, bully you, pick on you, and you respond in humility, love, and grace, they will not get it. No one's going to understand that. They're going to think, I'm being a jerk, being a bully, whatever word you want to use, And all that keeps happening is this person responds to me in love and humility. I can just tell you, I used to go to a a meeting of um, students on the university that I went to about a year or so after I became a a follower of Christ. Uh, And the name of that organization was the Free Thinker Society, which was an interesting name for them because 
Uh, they didn't allow a whole lot of free thought outside of their own worldview. But, um, you know, if you, were, if, you, if you were a theist, not an atheist, but a theist, you were made fun of and poked fun of the entire time you were there. But anyway, I, I would go to these meetings, and it was, it was interesting, and I learned a lot about, um, you know, philosophy, and I was, you know, really interested in apologetics and defending the faith, and that was part of my own testimony, and so I used to go to these meetings and try to befriend these people. And one thing that was interesting is a relationship with I, that I ended up developing with this one guy who was a, a, a Taoist that would show up at, at those meetings, and he took me aside one time, he's like, why do you keep coming back to these meetings when these guys just poke and make fun of you even when you answer their questions? I was like, because God loves me. He loved me when I did the same thing that they're doing to other Christians. And God loves them. And I want them to know that and experience that. He's like, well, what, what do you mean your God loves them? And guess what I got to do? I got to share the gospel. That guy would have had no desire to hear the good news of Jesus. But because he saw me being made fun of, slandered, being treated unfairly, he noticed that, and he started asking questions why. And guess what I was able to do in that moment? I was able to be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asked for a reason for the hope that was in me, yet with gentleness and respect. I would love to tell you that that guy accepted Christ and is walking with Jesus today. He's not. But I had an opportunity to share the gospel. And he's heard it. The seed has been planted. And I don't know what God's going to do. If we live this way, people will take notice. We will be given opportunities to witness to the beauty of Jesus in our own lives. And when we do so, we do so with gentleness and respect. Here's, here's just something I need to say, guys, because I think, like, in a world that is increasingly polarized politically, socially, and by worldviews, living this way is extremely different to the culture around us right now. Instead of responding to somebody in a meme... Instead of thinking of your best one-liner that unveils the foolishness of someone's worldview. And guys, here's the thing. I'm, I'm guilty of this. I love to win an argument. I love it. Next to Jesus and my family, it might be like my third or fourth most favorite thing in this universe. <laughs> my parents are dying laughing up here in the front row because they've witnessed it for 33 years. I, like, I mean, like my personality type is called the debater. Right, Charles Spears isn't here this morning, but if he was, he would tell you that I once picked a fight with him in something I didn't believe in just to prove I could win the argument. <laughs> and the only thing that sabotaged me was my wife coming over and announcing to Charles, this is what he's doing to you, stop talking to him. <laughs> I think Sam was there. Sam Hurlston, were you there? Is he in here? I don't see him in here right now. I think Sam was there, though. He could tell you that story. Right. Like, I, just, I love a good debate. Love to win an argument. It's not what Peter calls us to do. 
Here it says, be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you with gentleness and respect. And guys, can I, can I let you in on a little secret about suffering? If you suffer well for the cause of Christ with this in mind, when you start serving and witnessing to others, your problems don't seem so big. See, I think one of the great problems with suffering is that it leads us to be inwardly focused. You become focused only on your problems and your circumstances. But if you live with this in mind and are focused instead on loving Jesus and serving others, it makes your problems seem small in the grand scheme of things. Even in the midst of suffering and pain and persecution, God's word tells us, hey, there's more to life than this. And that's to know me and make me known among the nations. And so here's what I would encourage us to do. Instead of focus on our suffering, right, and what, how miserable and unfair life is and how terrible things are and how miserable our circumstances might be, the next time you find yourself doing this, why don't you, why don't you just do two things for me? One, stop, pray, ask for forgiveness, ask for help, strength, and wisdom, and then you do this. Start asking this question. Lord, who can I serve right now? Who needs me right now? Right, who needs to see that you are better than my suffering right now? Who needs to see the beauty and the value that can only be found in Christ alone? Who needs to see the goodness of a God who left his throne room in heaven and put on human flesh and then suffered to the point of death, death on a cross, so that my sin might be paid for in full and forgiven, and that I would be offered and adopted as a son of God, invited into a kingdom with an inheritance that never perishes, and I will spend eternity in heaven worshiping God and Jesus as king. Who needs to know that? How about you make that clear and plain to me? And God, give me the strength and the wisdom to be able to give a defense. And guys, if you find yourself in this situation, I'm just gonna tell you right now, if you start asking God for opportunities to do this, be, be ready. Because they're gonna come. And some of you guys are like, I, I've heard this question, like, I don't, I, if someone asks me like, why I believe, I don't know what to say. You know what a good answer can be in that time? I don't know. Let's open up the Bible. Let's figure out what God has to say. So let's, let's, figure out, let's figure out what Jesus says. I've never been asked that question before. I don't know. Let's go ask somebody that might know. Right, if you can answer questions and objections and still hold firm to your faith, right, man, that looks good. But this is gonna take us genuinely seeking to love and serve others to meet needs, listen, and love. So I'm gonna invite the, print, the, the band back up here, right? And, and, and you guys know, what, you know, it's what we do every week at Aletheia, is we give you an opportunity to respond to the word of God, 
to, to respond to what we just read through and what we, what we looked at. And so here's what I, here's what I want to invite you guys to do this morning. The, fir- the first thing is this. If, you, if you're here this morning and you're like, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I don't even really know why I'm here, but I'm not a follower of Jesus. I'll just say this. You can search through life looking for meaning and purpose to why you are on this rock that's floating and whizzing around our galaxy at a couple million miles an hour. You will not find an answer outside of God. You are not some random clump of cells. You are not here because lightning struck some amorphous blob of water on the universe 250 billion years ago and that from that everything just evolved slowly by the way i'm not throwing i I am not the scientist here but i'm just telling you that that from god's word you were created for a purpose and you exist and it matters and that reason is to glorify and make him known to the world around you let me just tell you something guys if you come to know Jesus as your Savior and King, life starts having purpose and meaning, and that surrender is a surrender that will be the greatest surrender in your life. And so if you are not a follower of Jesus here this morning, this morning can be the morning where you lay down your, your, your selfishness, your pride, your sin, your reasons that I can get through this life and do it on my own. And I would invite you to trust Jesus. A man that came over 2,000 years ago, both God and man in the flesh, who gave himself for you on the cross as a substitution for your sin against God. And to prove that that penalty was sufficient, three days later rose from the dead and now rules and reigns in heaven, at, seated at the right hand of God the Father, and who one day will return and rule with justice and equity. If you, if you are like me and you look out over the landscape of our culture and the world around us and say, all I see is injustice and chaos and mutiny and anarchy, Jesus would say, yes, and one day I'll come back and set all that right. Until then, his church, his bride, faithfully waits for his return, serving and telling as many people as possible about him. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna take communion. If somebody wants to turn the lights down, Brent, you can go ahead and do that. We're gonna take communion. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I would ask that you not take communion with us because God's word says that you heap more judgment on yourself if you do that. Sit there, pray, contemplate. Talk to the person next to you. If somebody brought you to church this morning, ask them, what's this guy talking about? Why do you believe this? Why are you walking with Jesus? But if you're a follower of Christ this morning, will you do this for me? Will you sit there and reflect and ask God, how might I suffer for the cause of your gospel? And who in my life needs to hear about the love and cause of Christ? And then will you come up here and you will take communion? Guys, I tell you this every time I I give our communion spiel, but communion is an act of worship, not an act of contrition. We don't take communion 
crying because of our sin. Do that before you come up here. But when you come up here, take communion and take it openly and willingly and in worship because Jesus' flesh and blood was poured out for that sin and it is forgiven. Right? Paul says in Colossians that when Jesus went to the cross, he nailed to the cross with him the debt of, of, of sins that was against you. All of your sins and transgressions were paid for in the death of Christ. And so we come up here and we take communion joyfully worshiping Jesus because we are forgiven. And then let's go out this week, guys, and let's be the church. Let's suffer well for the cause of Christ. And if we're not suffering, might we be the church to one another in fellowship and unity, suffering with them, making much of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is one of those sermons, this is one of those moments, this is one of those times where I read your word and I say, it doesn't make any sense. And yet experientially I can say that after walking with you now for 13 years, the times that I've grown closest to you and most seen your grace on my life, most experienced the love of the church, most experienced the grace of God in my life has been in, in seasons of turmoil and suffering. And crazily, I stand here and I thank you for that gift. Because there is no greater gift than to know you and to be loved by you. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that does not know you as Savior and King, save them. Reveal yourself to them as the one who died for their sins. And Father, help us as a church in spirit and in truth, to worship you and suffer well for your glory. And I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.